too many movies. I watch too much TV. I have too many kids. And now, we're doing a podcast. The Discerning Geeks Portal. Welcome back, discerning listeners, to the Discerning Geeks Portal, where each week we take a discerning look into all things geek. Uh, my name is David, and I'm joined again this week with my best friends, David, Andrew, and Todd. How is everybody doing on this wonderful week? How do we know they're discerning listeners? They're listening to us. That makes them discerning. No, they're just, <laughs> just listening. I, don't, I have no idea if they're discerning listeners. Either that or just morbidly curious. Yeah. (laughs) Hopefully they'll be starting after they listen. (laughs) Someday we're going to figure out what's wrong with these guys. Yeah, that's probably what's really going on. I'm going to keep the banter to a a minimum this this episode. Yeah, good luck. Oh, shut up, Dave. We're going to banter all day long. I really want to get into this episode. We've been waiting like a year. Um, So kind of a little bit of housekeeping for our listeners. Um, this is our episode 50. We are considering this the last episode of season one for the Discerning Geeks Portal. Uh, and next week, you can join us for our brand new, retooled, all new, all powerful, all more discerning season two of Discerning Geeks Portal. Hopefully. <laughs> it's, like, it's like the second star, only it's finished. <laughs> Time permitting, we're we're hoping it's it's slightly retooled. It'll it'll still be. It's like the Back to the Future but... Two, but made sense. <laughs> but, but yes, a, a, Back to the Future Two was the best one. Wow, it's I like Starship oh Troopers Two, only without strobe light guns. <laughs> All right, wait a minute. We had about two or three things going on there. Andrew, yeah. did you say that that Back to the Future Two was the best? I was being no. sarcastic. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Oh, oh, is that what he said? I didn't pay attention. Everyone knows the first one's the best, then it's the third one, then it's the second. Actually, the third one's the best. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry, boss. The Old West one is the best one. Third one bored me, actually. But that's not what we're talking about tonight. We're going (laughs) to talk about the greatest book ever. Eh. And and a movie movie that tried its best. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, so we've been talking about this for a very long time amongst ourselves um we have enjoyed prepping for this one it did take a little bit longer um for some and i'm really really curious to see andrew's take as the newbie see how well this book and movie hold up over time but i don't want to spoil it so i'm gonna let todd tell him what we're talking about Okay, as Dave has already implied, we are reviewing both a book and a movie tonight for a jam-packed episode for Ender's Game. Yay! Yay! When when children are entrusted with the protection of humanity from a race of alien insectoids who have already attacked Earth before, we follow one extremely gifted kid named Ender Wigan in his training as a commander and tactician. Ender's Game is starring Asa Butterfield as Ender Wigan, Harrison Ford as Colonel Hiram Graff, 
Haley Steinfeld as Petra Arcanian, Abigail Breslin as Valentine Wigan, Ben Kingsley as Mazer Rackham, and Viola Davis as Major Gwen Anderson. Also starring Aramis Knight, Siraj Pertha, Kylan Rambo, and Moises Arias as Bean, Ally, Dink Meeker, and Bonzo Madrid, respectively. Uh, the movie Ender's Game was released on November 1st, 2013, with a rating of PG-13. It was written and directed by Gavin Hood. But of course, Ender's Game is based on the 1985 novel Ender's Game, which was based on a August, an August 1977 issue of Analog Magazine. It, was, it actually appeared as a short story in that magazine first, and then was later adapted to uh, novel form in 1985, both written by Orson Scott Card. Yes. And, and, uh, and the novel won both the Nebula and Hugo Awards. That's because it's awesome. A little bit of trivia. The U.S. Marine Corps has Ender's Game on its recommended reading list to officers, saying that it offers lessons in training methodology, leadership, and ethics. Uh, Asa Butterfield, Haley Steinfeld, and several cast members that portrayed battle school cadets in the film went to space camp prior to filming to train for zero-gravity sequences. Asa Butterfield grew three inches during filming. <laughs> and according to director Gavin Hood's commentary, uh, several planned scenes were cut due to financing problems when one of the investors backed out of the project. The and the same, yeah, and the same happened with planned CGI effects when one of the CGI studios working on the movie went bankrupt during production. Damn. Now I got that little I got that little tidbit from IMDB. I'm hoping it's true because it might help excuse the fact that the movie doesn't quite hold up to the book and, and is maybe missing a few pieces. But uh, a few. Yeah, so, so that's the rundown. All right, all right. I don't know. I'm going to go around the ta the, the table and kind of the ask table. everybody's opinion, uh, the metaphorical table. Uh, <laughs> um, but I don't know that it's much of a, a secret. I think we've probably talked about it in the past on some of our future earlier episodes. Um, this is. I, I don't know that anything has topped this out as my favorite book. Um, there are some that come really close. And, uh, you know, there's some other good stuff out there, but this probably still holds true to be my, my favorite book of all time. Um, and so I'll just kind of give that as a, as a heads up on where, you know, I'm coming from. Uh, but what about you, Todd? how do you feel about this book? I know you're not a big reader, but I, I know also that this is one of the few books that you've read. Uh, you make it sound like I never read anything. Uh, no, we have joked quite a bit about how, yeah, I'm not an avid reader. And to a certain extent, I can't help it. Reading comprehension has always been my weakest academic skill. I'm a very slow reader. It, the way my brain is wired, I just don't enjoy reading as much as a lot of people do. Given that, it is probably still my favorite novel of all time, too. Now, maybe that's not saying a lot because I'm I, I'm not as well-read as you guys and a lot of other people out there. But still, I think this is still my favorite novel. This is also one of the only books that I've ever read twice. And now that I've read it again for this review, it is, I'm pretty certain it's the only book I've ever read three times. And having read it uh, a third time now uh, as full-fledged adult and using, you know, 2021 insights. There were a few things that, that I dinged on a few, um, 
a few nitpicks, uh, especially looking at it through a more analytical viewpoint for this review. But I think despite those few things that I'll bring up later, I think it's probably still my, my favorite book of all time. And, um, the movie, uh, we'll, we'll get into that more later, but I would say kind of like Dave said, they, they kind of gave it a good try. I kind of see how they, why they did certain things the way they did, but I still wish they had done it a little differently too. All right. And how about you, Dave? I'm sorry. I wasn't paying attention. Hey, that's my line. <laughs> what the that's hell? That's what I'm getting ready to say. <laughs> sorry. I had, to, I had to steal it from Andrew, so he couldn't, he had to pay attention. Um, this is Ender's Game, man. This is like our book. Like, this is the book that like bonded us. Not that we weren't kind of already bonded when we met young, when we were younger, but I'm just saying that like, but really, what really got us to be who we are, I think, uh, when it comes to what we do and how we kind of think, this is the book. Um, Watch this, uh, uh, Ender's Game holds a special place because it was one of those type of things where I think Dave was the one that started. He goes, have you guys read this? And we were like, no. And he was like, you should read this. And we did. And then all three of us just became fans. Uh, the other reason is uh, there is some geographical um, loyalty, so to speak, to this book. Uh, one of the great things about it is Orson Scott Card, oddly enough, lives like less than 15 minutes from like us, which I'm, I think he's still alive. Um <laughs> I may be wrong about that because he was pretty old when I was in college and we would invite him to keggers because one of the guys down the hall actually found his phone number and we would call him and be like, Hey dude, do you want to come to a party? And his, his wife was very nice. Like she would be like, I don't think he's going to make it tonight, boys. And we're like, okay, well we just thought we'd call and ask. And that was it. I'm like, we weren't like being mean or anything. We just thought it'd be really cool to like hang out with the nebula winner. If he like ever showed up to a kegger at one of the college parties that we were throwing. But that's just a little side story that, that, that we used to do, but it takes place. Uh, Ender and, and a couple of the scenes that takes place in the book take place in Greensboro, North Carolina, which is like not exactly our hometown, but we're like it's like right next to us. So uh, th- th- there is a bit of loyalty when we read the book and, and realized that hey, this is like you know our area. That's pretty cool. That you know you don't normally see that. You know most people don't go hey he's from North Carolina. You know you, most people go hey it's the crazy guy from North Carolina. But anyway. Uh, it's just it's we've just always grown very close to it and it's inspired us and it's one of those books that hits on a lot of different types of directions i think because if you're looking to be kind of the billy badass uh you'll you'll connect to it if you're looking to be that kid that doesn't really want to fight you'll connect to it if you're uh looking to be the hero you'll connect to it if you're looking to be the villain you'll connect to it there there's this book is very interesting in in the fact of there's so many different aspects that you can look into not only the ender character but other characters that if somebody told me that they've read it and they never connected with anybody in it i'm gonna be really surprised i'm gonna actually have to like sit down with them and go tell me how you didn't connect with anybody because um it was done in such a great way that I think that's the reason you can read it and you can go back to it over and over and over again and continue to enjoy it. I don't want to get too deep. I want to get Andrew's preliminary impression. Does it hold up on overtime? Andrew, you're the, you're the young one. 
you're about the same age I was, maybe a little older when I first read this book. What what were your thoughts? Bah, it was okay. No, I'm just kidding. This book is awesome. I was say, it's about time to dump him off the podcast. No. <laughs> I was like, I was like, were you watching the fluffy special where it was like, there's this phrase that Mexicans could say where you know it just discredits anything and it's just nah. Ah. Um, I mean, I, 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 maybe if I can form a sentence. Um, yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> shut up. So I always enjoyed reading, but I've never actually had like decent time. I've always reading. enjoyed reading, but I've never enjoyed reading. What? I I always enjoy when I read a book, but I can never motivate myself to read a book. Um, there's this couple of book series I like to read, like The Scythe and... Cats, because it requires longer than a six-second tension span. Just saying. Yeah. And this kind of caught me off guard as being enjoying to read. It, uh... I mean, it was enjoyable. Okay. That's it? That's 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 all you got? Is it enjoyable? Yeah, it was enjoyable. Nothing nothing else? Just, it was good. Either that or I can talk about how it was basically just laser tag. We're gonna, like, that's like part of the book. We're gonna have to get him a thesaurus. It's for laser birthday. tag. Wow. So it, is, so it is laser tag. It's very advanced zero G laser tag. Oh, okay, which... it is. You cannot tell me that this is not high. Kids who are high and they're playing laser tag. Okay. We we have agreed with you that it's laser tag. Part of the book is laser tag. Yes. It depends on your mindset, and I and I would kind of be curious as to which parts each of us kind of latch on to. I always loved Ender's strategic mind, right? Um, I always got frustrated playing laser tag because when you play laser tag, like in the general sense of going to one of the places now, and it's, it's, there's no strategy. There's it's, no strategy. It's, no, charge. It's, just, it's just a bunch of people running around shooting the guns at each other. And, Oh, I got you and you didn't get me. And so it's one of the reasons I'm not a huge fan of laser tag. There's, there's really no point in it. There's no strategy. It's no, there's no, it's just a bunch of people running around shooting. Um, and nobody takes the time to, to stop and listen to a leader to say, Hey, you know, if we do this and you guys do this, we could crush these guys. And, and it's nice to, to be able to kind of see that in a three dimensional format. Like Ender does, he takes these, these tactics and, and in everything that he does. Um, and, and it's, it's really awesome the way that they capture that. And, and, uh, Orson Scott card captures that in the book. So, um, it's, it's more than, than your laser tag. Cause there is, there's this, this wonderful strategy there. <clears throat> Let's get into it. What, what's favorite parts. Let's just kind of spit it out there and see if anybody has a, a favorite part of the book that they, they really, really like. You might want to go first. Not it. <laughs> uh, well, all right. First, let's examine the title. Let's start really basic first. Okay. Ender's Game. There's technically more than one game talked yeah. about in the book. There are, of course, the army battles at battle school. Yep. There's the fantasy game that Ender plays on his desk computer. There are the mind games that Ender plays with colonels, commanders, and bullies. It might be a little bit of a stretch to call this a game, but then there are also the fight games that Ender has to play with the bullies. And then, of course, there's uh, Command School, which comes later. They're not bullies. Well, and, uh, and, and there's even 
other games when they're on their time off, right? They're in the the rec room and playing different games where one of them almost sounds like a three-dimensional Tron game where you kind of like lay traps and, and try to pin other people. And so, yeah, there's multiple, multiple games in this. Uh, but yeah, keep, what's what's your thoughts on that? Well, uh, to, to, to take it a step further, Ender is an appropriate nickname for Andrew Wigan. Um, he, he spells it the normal way. <clears throat> uh, without spoiling too much of the story, he is quite literally a thing that brings an end to other things. So when you put those things things together, in a way, the, the title is almost a play on words. It's like if you move the S to the other, wor- uh, other word, you could say that this book is Ender Games. It's games about bringing in the, the end to things. Yeah. Um, so uh, I, I just happened to think of that like uh, 30 minutes ago. Uh, but I thought that was interesting. Philosophical here? Well, I, it's about the title. It's a little bit nitpicky, so, so I thought I'd get out of the way. But you were talking about favorite things. Dave, I would have to agree with you that my favorite thing about the book is the strategy. Getting into that psychology of, of Ender's mind and how he just is so creative in his tactics and the things that he comes up with and how he just finds ways of, of winning. Uh, it's, it's really creative. The first part of the book is actually really good in that it moves pretty quickly. Uh, I think it's chapter three that tells you some things about his parents. And through the introduction to his parents, you also learn some things about society and religion in the future. Uh, just, Just little tidbits, but just enough to know how the future is different, how things work in the future. And I think somewhere along the way, it also explains, or at least should have explained, why it is that they're entrusting children to kind of fight this intergalactic war for them. Off the top of my head, I don't remember it because I kind of read the first three chapters a while back, kind of took a little bit of a break and then started reading again. But I'm kind of impressed with the pacing of those first few chapters because that chapter I mentioned, chapter three, it's only six, seven, eight pages and it moves pretty quickly, but has a lot packed in. The chapters start to get a little bit longer, and I wish maybe they had been broken up a little bit into smaller chunks later on. And I think maybe the ending, while the ending is still great, maybe out of the the big pieces of the book, maybe my, my least favorite part. But it's that middle with all the tactics that that are they're really amazing. I like it. I like it. Mm. I'm with you on that. What about you, Dave? Did you have a favorite part? I actually enjoyed everything about Ender mostly not just the strategy part which was which was fun but uh everything that had to do with him and but part of that is because i i went further than i think you guys even did because there's actually four books of the whole series starting with ender's game uh and i read the other three after it uh which uh, i won't lie there was one that was pretty it took a while to get through it Uh, having that knowledge of of what ender grows into uh, or becomes after the fact and the experience of Ender's game uh, just makes me focus on Ender so much more when I reread the book to see those hints and, and telltale signs that was going on uh, to answer Todd's question. What he forgot was that space travel required uh, people being cryogenically sleeped uh, to travel that far to the different worlds and planets that they were either fighting on or attacking or whatever. And so that was the reason they needed children because they needed 
people that they could train into these great warriors and, and commanders that would be still alive when they got to the battle is basically the reason they were looking at kids. Yeah, I thought that was part of it, but I also didn't know if maybe it had something to do with kids, their minds kind of being sponges and, and being very easy to awesome. teach and to absorb stuff. So I didn't know if that was part of it, too, or if there wow. were multiple reasons. That was kind of offensive, Todd. <laughs> well, it was. That was what? that was the, the, there was it was intentional. It wasn't just a, oh, this would make a cool plot point. It was it was actually very intentional as to to why they were focusing on these children. Um, I'm with you, Dave. I actually, I think I read two of the the sequels, and then I read the entire um, four parts of the Ender Shadow sequence as well. Um, so I read uh, Speaker for the Dead and Xena. Xenocide. Xenocide. That's the uh, one that takes a while to get through. That, that is a long. That, that is a long book, <laughs> and it's like, not even like long in number of pages. It's just very slow. <laughs> yeah, it's just very, very slow. It's rebuilding of a civilization is basically what's going yeah. on. But anyway, um, of those, my my suggestion to any of our listeners out there is read Ender's Game, then for a really fun trip, go straight into Ender's Shadow. And basically read the same story from a different point of view and a different perspective. And it's kind of neat to see how well he pulls off kind of that. And then if you want to go further, you know, read some of the other ones. But but those would be the two that I would actually start with. I have a hard time picking a favorite part. I One of my favorite parts of the book, and, and I did, I loved Ender. I loved the strategy. I loved how well Orson Scott Card captured the psychology of this character and we're in his mind the whole way. I mean, we are, you, you are along this ride with Ender when you read the book, but at the beginning of each chapter, you get these like breakdowns of the teachers and, and Colonel Graf and, and them kind of talking about this process and what they're trying to do and what's going on behind the scenes and I have to say, those were always a favorite section of mine. They're usually only about a page or two long, but you get some of the best quotes. You get some behind the scenes that, that's going on. And it's just really, really cool. I mean, uh, yeah, you know, there's a, a, a quote kind of about halfway through and they're questioning whether what they're going to do if, if this doesn't work. And, and uh, I think the quote is... Oh, he has, I'll lie to him. And if that doesn't work, then I'll tell the truth. We're allowed to do that in emergencies. Cause he's talking about being part of the government that's training these kids. And it's like, we're only allowed to tell them the truth in emergencies. And, and some of these highlights and kind of like spots into the looks into the peeps into the behind the scenes, I thought were really, really cool. Andrew, what about you? Did you have a favorite section? Y'all took all the good stuff. I, I liked Ender the most. Like y'all said, you know, the whole psychology is like the, the way, the way like he thinks, you know, just getting to really absorb that with the great writing. It was pretty good. Of course, I didn't read any of it. It was an audio book. Yeah, because he's lazy. <laughs> I'm not lazy. It's called being efficient. You kids and your stupid electronic whatever those things are that have <laughs> words on them and people are like this is a book and i'm like that's not a book there's no paper the book is meant to be t- 
turned and you lean against the couch and listen to the rain outside and read. The other part I really enjoy, and I don't know, like I said, I love the the overall and we love Ender, right? Mm. But I think he does such a good job of telling these other stories along with it that are really cool. Because I really do enjoy the kind of almost that secondary story of Peter and Valentine kind of back mm-hmm. on earth planning and plotting to take over the world, yeah. which I unfortunately mean- <laughs> was completely overlooked in the movie, which I can understand that if they had to cut something from like a two hour film, you were going to have to cut this kind of sideline where, you know, psycho Peter actually kind of becomes like, you know, ruler of the world with the help of his like timid, loving sister, you know, <laughs> You can tell that they they don't outright say it, but the government is in some ways playing kind of selective gene reproduction here. You know, they they end up with a a really brilliant leader when Peter is born. Yeah. And but he was just a little too nuts. Violent and nuts. He was yeah. a little too Hannibal. Yeah, a he's little, a little too, too, a little too, too Caesar. Yeah, you know, uh, what's what's a little a little too Popot type yeah. of thing. Yeah, just a little bit too much of that. Of of like I've won now, killed them all. And it's like, yeah. but we don't have to. I don't care. Slaughter them. They they fought against me. How dare they? That was Peter. And then they're like, okay, so let's try a female, and they get Valentine, and it's like, well, she's too empathetic. She's not going to have the the killer instinct to really go after it and and win it in such a way. And in this future, of course, the world's overpopulated, things like that. So you're not allowed a third child. Um, and Ender was the third. And Without he special had, permission. had to have special permission from the government. And basically the government in a way almost owned him because he was a third. Um, and he was to be the blend and, and the best of both of them. And, But you have this whole story of these three brilliant children and what they do left to their own devices. And, um, you know, of course, Ender is the savior becoming the general to to save the day. Um, And then is he a savior? Well, that's true. Um, Just saying. But yes, I was that was probably my biggest disappointment in the movie. And I'm with you. I totally understand you can't have everything in a movie unless you do the Hobbit and you make it into three movies. Right. Um, <laughs> and then you put stuff in here. You're like, I didn't even know that was in the book. Right. <laughs> um, and, and I'm kind of glad they didn't do that with Ender's game. Um, but at the same time, I, I, I missed that that was completely left out. As a matter of fact, his relationship with his siblings, uh, while it's touched on, like 30 seconds in the whole movie um, was, was very much overlooked. And, and that, that was a, a sad part because that was a really good view into Ender psyche as we talked about it. And, well, and one I, of the things I love about the book is how the government after a while realizes, because what happens is, 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 Peter and Valentine decide to start doing this thing where they're going to start writing dissertations based on the war that's going on. Because what's basically really happened is is all the world's governments have decided to allow themselves to be ruled by this kind of, of space force while they're fighting this battle against 
the aliens. Uh, in other words, it's not necessarily a world government yet. In other words, because they still talk about the Soviets, they still talk about mm-hmm. the, the Chinese and all this. So you understand that these nations still exist. In other words, Russia's still there. The United States is still there. But all the nations have agreed to allow themselves to be uh, kind of ruled under this, I probably what would be an emergency act of the Space Force. But the thing I love is when Peter and Valentine decide to, decide to start writing dissertations on the net about the war, they flip roles. Peter takes the role of the peace-loving yeah. hippie, yeah. and Valentine takes the place of the warmongering, go get them type of, of guy, completely opposite of their personalities, which oddly enough in the book works out well because both of them end up becoming, they actually end up understanding each other better and in a way actually understanding their brother better. And so there is some kind of happy ending in, in a way when you pay attention to the, to the novel uh, about all three of them, because it's highly dysfunctional to start with. But um, it, even though it's still kind of a sad happy ending because of what has to take place, but what I love about it is when the government finally figures it out because they know of these two personas, Locke and Demotheses, and that how how you pronounce it. Yeah. Um, about how they're arguing all the time and they're splitting the whole world into two factions of of who follows Locke and who follows Demotheses, and um, and having these great debates uh, about uh, the war and Ender and governments and things that's going on. But what's funny is the government has no idea who the hell heck it is for like the longest time. And I think it's like halfway or like a two thirds through the book. They finally, somebody finally figures out who it is. Like, I forgot what it is. And I think that's in one of those uh, snippets that Dave was talking about at the yeah. beginning of the chapter. And it talks about how, like, we finally figured out who Demotheses was, or we finally figured out who Locke was. And, and, uh, whoever it was was like well who man who and they're like oh it's Ender's brother and sister and I forgot but like the kind of answer was it was almost one of those where you could see the pause in the message where the guy kind of went yeah that makes sense <laughs> but yeah, it, they're still kids great. too yeah they're still kids too I mean I think Peter's like 16 15 well, and Valentine I think Peter's talking to Valentine and makes the comment something about taking over the world, and, and she's kind of like, "But I haven't even had my period yet." <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's because like, oh. when oh, that's the other thing that that the book does. When Ender first goes to battle school, he's nine, I think. Uh, it's six. Six. Is, it, is, yeah. it, is he that young? I thought yeah, it was he's nine. Six. six. Yeah, he's six years old. Peter was, I think, twelve. Yeah. And, and Valentine was like eight or nine. And so then when he finally goes to command school, which is the, the later end of the book where he's doing all the big battles supposedly simulated against the aliens, he's that's when he's, I think, 12. So it's like six years of battle school. And, um, and uh, uh, so Peter is like, you know, 16, 17 when, when they finally figured out who he was and Valentine was like 15 or something like that. So, I mean, these are all like, not, they're not even in their twenties yet doing all this crazy stuff. Well, one of the reasons I would, I, I was excited to get Andrew in on this to see what his thoughts were. I know when I first read this book, I was like I said about his age and to me, it was very refreshing to read this book and kind of see these kids doing these epic things. Um, it wasn't in a in a fantasy. You two could change the world. Yeah, it, it was. It was. It was very inspiring. 
that's one of the things I liked about it. How about you, Todd? What anything uh, stick out for you, or anything else you want to talk about with this book? Yeah. Okay. I've got a couple quotes. Wasn't sure I was going to save them for lightning round, but you were talking about the psychology of Ender. One of the things that he is very good at is realizing that he hates to fight. So when he has to, he wants to make sure it's the last one, not the first of many. So there's a quote somewhere where he says, knocking him down won the first fight. I wanted to win all the next ones too, so they'd leave me alone. And that kind of encompasses a lot of his psychology. Yeah. Also, uh, we talk about how he's kind of able to get into the the minds of his enemies. This is not a a quote from a character, but it's actually part of the narration. There's uh, one point where, where the writer says, he could see Bonzo's anger growing hot. Hot anger was bad. Ender's anger was cold and he could use it. Bonzo's was hot and so it used him. And I thought that was that was some really cool writing right there. It, it, it like I said, it, it just goes to show that Ender is able to use other people's disadvantages uh, against them and how he's able to perceive these things and use them in his strategies. You know, one of the quotes, and I'm, I think I'm almost positive it was a uh, Colonel Graf was telling us the other one of the other ones was uh, Ender Wiggins isn't a killer. He just wins thoroughly. <laughs> yeah. He wins to the point that he doesn't have to worry about it anymore. And it's not that he, you know, wants to, to kill anybody. He he really isn't. And 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 of course, you know, that's the the, the meat at the end of the story. Um, you know, he he has no desire whatsoever to be put in a position where he has to kill somebody. But then there are multiple times kind of throughout the book, even as a child that he has to severely (laughs) take out his opponents and, and he does so thoroughly, completely. And, and that's pretty cool. So. Yeah. It's, it's one of those, um, it's one of those, uh, analogies of uh, the the different tactical abilities of of the children peter the reason he was unacceptable was peter would have would have ordered the death of his army just to win completely like he he didn't care about the forces that he commanded it was all about maybe not even necessarily the winning it was just all about the battle valentine cared so much about her her forces that she would never take the risks needed or give the orders to to win and so yeah she may never technically be defeated but she never would have won either and there's a there's a quote if i remember correctly that was of robert e lee in the many times that he discussed uh, commanding uh forces and uh it talked about how y- you love you love what you do whether you like it or not, you, you love the men under your command, but the uh, purpose of a leader is the ability to be able to order the death of the thing that you love. And that is Ender. Ender had that ability to where he loved his men and he loved his army and he loved his forces, but he also understood his duty and knew that he may have to actually order the, the death of the things that he loved to accomplish the goal and that was really the major difference between the three children was the ender was the balance between the other two 
uh, while one would have just been a bloodthirsty tyrant type of commander and the other one would have been a very uh, timid and and uh, caring commander, beloved, but caring, but never being able to move forward, you finally got Ender, who was a true commander that would have taken the risk when he needed to take a risk and also protected when he needed to protect. All right, Andrew, I want to hear from you, man. I know you said you listened to this on the audiobook format, so I'm curious if it came across to you. What was the big main? What what did what was the main thing that, that stuck with you out of this book? Mostly Ender and his psychology. He's basically a sociopath. Like he he has that quality that most sociopaths have, where they know how to predict emotion and okay. how to abuse it, but he actually has empathy. So it's like he knows how to do it, but should he? Well, Right. Well, and I think that's another area that is one of the reasons that I love this book, right? We so often see brilliance and especially kind of in that psychological context, right? Where you're going down the whole line of there's a fine line between genius and madness. In a way. I mean, but I mean, in a way, I mean, there's this element of people that have that empathy and can read other people. It is very very, very easy for them to use that to their advantage in hurting others. With Ender, we see an example of how to use that brilliance and how to latch onto it and not in a way that's intentionally hurting others. Now, he's used and and ends up, you know, bad things happen, but his overall psyche is not to, I'm going to use my intellect and my abilities to hurt someone else. I'm doing the best that I can and I want to lift others up. Um, and so often in our society, we don't see that. Um, so that, that was a, a, a big sticking out point for me. What? You mean humans are shit? No. <laughs> a lot of times, a lot of times. Um, yeah. I wanted to talk about a little bit about the movie as well as the book at the same time, unless you have want to continue with. with well, I had one more question. Go ahead, and Go then ahead. we'll get into the book. Because I mean, in the movie, because I do want to discuss the movie. Well, um, and are we doing nitpicks too? And we are going to do nitpicks. You can always do nitpicks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I wanted to talk talk about one thing that I think is done brilliantly in the book, almost in the way that it was just touched on, and that is this enemy the formics, this aliens that we, we learn about. They're almost insect in nature. Uh, very similar. I, I imagine in the, um, in, in character or what would visualize. Variants. Well, I, I, I almost see them in many ways. Like the, um, you talked about starship troopers, you know, that's kind of the, yeah, uh, in a way. Yeah. You know, I think, I don't know that they have like big, plasma butt bomb bugs but no (laughs) no no they 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 were far closer to ants because they do actually build ships and they and things like that but but oddly enough i I do want to have a big spoiler because i'm i want to talk about like how the war started right and and but anyway go ahead but i wonder what you all think thought of the aliens because i think 
part of the brilliance for me was we don't get a lot of scenes with these aliens that they're fighting. And a matter of fact, our whole way of learning about these aliens is through the eyes of Ender as he's trying to piece together little tiny bits of information that he has. And yet we get a clear image of what these aliens are and how their society works. And I thought it was, I thought it was really brilliant how we're introduced to this whole alien society just through Inter's eyes. And then of course we kind of learn that these aliens are communicating with Ender um, and, and influencing him along the way as well. So what did you guys think about that? Were, were the aliens formidable? Did you think they were neatly done? I mean, we just kind of did a review of alien, the movie not too long ago, you know, how would you compare? Uh, well, I, I completely agree. The it's, it's interesting. Um, because Orson Scott Card actually took a very old tradition, which is not as out of ten, uh, sadly, for humans. Usually the way you find out about a different civilization is through warfare. Uh, it's just something that's in our history, and, and you can you can morally judge humanity based on that all every day of the week. But if you really go back and look through our history, uh, most of the time it all starts out with a fight before and you're like oh those people exist and blah 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 blah. you have to find out these things and and the same kind of thing happens here um it happens a little bit in a different way because ender at one point does talk about how he loves his enemy he loves the formidics Uh, and part of that has to do with a lot of the different little things that happen when you read the book and 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 oddly enough when you watch the movie which they don't do too bad of a job too but it gets a little gets a little gray in that area because you're not quite sure what's going on um and, and you just kind of have to accept it in the film. Um, but they, they are trying to communicate with someone and they're using, uh, certain things that, um, Anders playing with, so to speak, that's a big hint that I'll give you, uh, to communicate with eventually Ender because they realize that here is a mind that is open enough to kind of talk to it wasn't necessarily that they were really hunting for him because they didn't they didn't exactly know him he comes to understand more and more about his enemy you have to kind of love your enemy in order to understand how to beat them um and and that's that's very important uh military philosophy whether you realize it or not we we've often dehumanized most of our of our enemies etc and so forth but those usually tend to be for the the grunt in the field that has to pull the trigger. Um, the guys commanding have to usually have some kind of understanding about the civilization and society of, of the enemy that you're fighting so that you can have a, actually be able to give commands better. And I think it does a really good job to formulate this enemy and how they fight and how they learn uh, because the book is constantly changing because there will be a tactic that Ender uses that, will not be an option for him in the next battle. And they mention it about mm-hmm. how, uh, for example, at one point, this isn't too big of a spoiler because this happens pretty quick. The Formidics, they swarm, they have fighters and they, and they swarm kind of like bees. If you've ever seen a bee swarm, that's kind of what they look like. And uh, Ender defeats them with a certain weapon uh, that's kind of like a big cannon and just wipes them all out. 
Well, every battle after that, the Formetics learn that they have this weapon. And so they no longer bunch up, is what they call it, uh, to where that weapon can do what it did before. And so it's it the whole book progresses and grows as it goes along. Yeah, I think the quote is, in the moment when I truly understand my enemy, understand him well enough to defeat him, then in that very moment, I also love him. Yeah. And that was a quote from Ender as he's um, learning about these people, and not just people, but this this also these aliens. What about you, Todd? What do you feel about the, the Formex? I, I'm not sure I have anything of value to say on this topic, and I kind of want to save time for other things. So okay. I think I'll take a pass on this one. No problem. Yep. Well, I want to keep moving because I know. Um, so let's get into a few nitpicks and, and, and areas that, hey, maybe even Orson Scott Card could have done better. What, what do you got? Please <laughs> do not insult our intelligence. This is going to be pretty much mostly about the movie. And a lot of it has to do with the, the, the just a lot of it was a lack of time because this book has so many good things in it that, and yeah, in order to do it, you would have had to do it like three probably movies to tell the whole story. Um, but one of the things that I wanted to mention before, and these are probably going to be a few positives. He looked great. You know, it was, I thought, you know, as, as far as a uh, space movie goes, looks yeah. great. But one of the fun things that the movie did do right was Ender coming in and, and the armies that he's fighting, they're using formations and he breaks all that up. And then like it ends up coming full circle, uh, which is really fun. And then going to the commands of school and, and, and having his guys that he basically trained be there with him because they all kind of know his mind or at least what they, what, you know, is expected of them uh, is the same kind of thing that you see in any kind of military stri- uh, uh, school today. Uh, you know, if you have a commander that's got great sub commanders that, that know what their commander's thinking, uh, that's far better than any kind of other special weapon or troops that you could possibly have, you know, and that's been proven throughout history. Robert E. Lee and Stonewall Jackson, Stonewall Jackson, Robert E. Lee, you know, no matter what you thought about the war, uh, each one of those men knew the mind of their other of the other. And so Lee could give Jackson a simple command and Jackson could get it done because he knew what he wanted his commander to do. And there's other examples throughout history like that, you know, Caesar, Mark Anthony, uh, you know, and I'm sure there's others that are uh, just as important and, and and that I can't think off the top of my head. Um, nitpicks. Uh, it's rushed. There's a lot of rushed. Um, for the movie basically for the movie yeah sadly it's there's a lot of ru- there's a lot of rushed there was a lot of moments where i think they they tried their best to show tension and dire need and it didn't quite come through i think is the sad thing you kind of understand it but you're also kind of like eh it doesn't look that bad you know that kind of thing you know it's it's hard to it's hard to bash what you love but it's true uh, yeah. acting could have been better. No, really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no way. Yeah. yeah. The acting could have definitely been better. Perfect. Um, I was really upset that it had Han Solo and Indiana Jones in it. And he was all right. He did a good job, I guess, as, as Graf. But there's a lot of stuff with Graf that in the book well, is just funny. Because yeah, oh yeah, yeah, uh, <laughs> in the book, he slowly starts gaining weight. And yeah. <laughs> it's like all the way up to like when he when Ender finally goes to command school with Graf, 
Graf weighs like a hundred pounds more than he ever than he was with with Ender, and then like a little bit of spoiler alert when when it's all over, he he like loses like a hundred pounds. It's it's just funny. You can just tell how he's stress eating in the book. Like yeah. he's just he's stress eating because he's of everything he's putting these kids through. And then when he's finally like off the hook and he doesn't have to do it anymore, he goes back to being normal. But yeah, there's just some funny stuff that can be done that unfortunately wasn't done in the film, which of course I'm sure. Was yeah, there was a scene where he's talking with one of the other ones, commanders, and it's like, I should have you up in front of everybody to court martial you and this, that, and the other. And he goes, yes, but if I'm right, I expect, you know, a medal of honor and this, that, and the other. And it's like, for what? For keeping you from interfering <laughs> it's right. like basically just like <laughs> yeah, Graf, Graf was pretty much like I don't care I'm doing this for humanity yeah. Graf might have been like the only pure actual character in the whole uh, book that actually set out to do what he meant to do and did it and got away with it and yeah. that's it like everybody else was like how dare you do this to these children blah 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 which now that was done in the film pretty really well because there is a counterpart to Graf that kind of is bouncing off of him doing yeah. that kind of thing where how dare you do this to these children and they do do that well in the movie the the I can't think of her name but it's the black lady that's yeah. like the psychological officer or whatever she they do do that very well in the in the where she's like how are you why Colonel are you doing Anderson? this yeah Colonel yeah that, I forgot her I don't remember there. her rank I can't remember her name but. Yeah, see, they do do that well in the movie where there's that person that's like, these are kids, and he's like, I don't, I know that, you know, and he's like, yeah, anyway. What about you, Andrew? I know you kind of sped or listened to the, the book and then you watched the movie. What do you think of the movie? He's compiling his thoughts. Did we send him off to battle school? What happened? Andrew. All right. Well, we'll skip on over to Todd. How about you, man? What, what you got nitpick-wise? Okay. Uh, there oh. he is. Are, are you paying attention now? Did did you, are you did you flush? Did you wash your hands? <laughs> what was the question? Sorry. That's okay. What about what about the movie? What were your thoughts on the movie? It went by very quick. Okay. There's always an advantage a book has over a movie where it's kind of left up to your imagination. Right. If you have a movie that's based off a book and you've already read the book, it always zaps the fun out of it. In a way. Okay. Todd, what about you? Okay, first I need to back up to the book itself because I've got some nitpicks there okay. too. E- yeah, even as amazing it. as the book is, I've got some nitpicks there. Go for and, the, it. And, and the first one might be a little bit controversial because it's it's kind of a combination nitpick warning. And, and not everybody is even going to notice this because it's not in every version of the publication. But for some people, depending on which version of the book you get, chapter six does have a very brief Asian slur and the use of the N-word in back-to-back lines. And it's a little bit of a cringeworthy moment for those that are that are really sensitive to that thing. I, in fact, I kind of count myself among those. It, it, it kind of catches you off guard. I've read the book before, but I guess I forgot about it, and it kind of caught me off guard when it happened again. For what it's worth, it's not used overly belligerently. Uh, in fact, Orson Scott Card himself, uh, I guess he got in contact with his publisher and willingly said, Okay, fine. Let's take that part out because I guess he got some complaints about it. So that part has been rewritten. So there are more recent versions of the book that have that section, uh, those two references taken out. There is something that is probably left in. 
Two chapters later, there are some kind of uncomfortable Jewish references, but it's actually a Jewish character making those references. And he's kind of saying, yeah, I say those things as a preemptive strike so that nobody can pick on me. I'm using those words myself. And But so if anybody out there is sensitive to those things, I really want to emphasize that, yeah, those moments are kind of cringeworthy. But they are very brief in a large book. It's a tiny portion of it. Uh, and it, I'm the it, asshole that goes grow up. But anyway. But anyway, it, I just want to kind of warn people that, yes, it's there, but don't don't let it ruin the whole book for you. All right. So moving on. You guys talked about the Peter and Valentine thing. I think that was the part of the book that was probably the weakest for me. I know that part of the point of the book is that Ender is a six-year-old who's this great strategist and everything like that. But for some reason, when it came to Peter and Valentine being 12 years old and 10 years old and somehow influencing international politics, I didn't buy it quite as well, especially since it only takes up part of one chapter and maybe little bits and pieces of other chapters. It's it's like it was a side story that was supposed to be really significant, but it it was kind of a lesser developed part. And in fact, you, you guys have already mentioned that it's left out of the movie. I'm glad it's left out of the movie since it wasn't one of my favorite parts. Without getting too detailed as to just how good Ender was, let's just say that he wins far, 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 far more than he loses. And I know that that is also part of the point of the book. But, you know, sometimes you hear in real life that failure is a part of learning. And so every once in a while in the book, I couldn't help but wonder if maybe Ender should have lost a little bit more than he did. You know, sometimes we hear the uh, the term Mary Sue, and I'm not even sure what that means. That's one of those popular terms out there that I'm not, I don't quite buy into the whole Mary Sue thing. But I can't help but wonder if Ender were a girl instead of a boy, would people accuse him of being a Mary Sue when instead he's a boy and you never hear it be a complaint? There's another thing that's throughout the book that is a little bit weird, and and I want to emphasize they never get creepy about it, but it's just weird. And it's how often they emphasize that the children sleep naked. Uh, It's just mentioned so many times, it's like, we get it, they sleep naked. And I want to emphasize it's not meant to be creepy. I think it's meant to emphasize that the kids have nothing. They do technically have the games, but even the games are meant to to teach them strategy and to keep their minds moving. Uh, Their only clothing are their uniforms and their flash suits. Uh, And I think that's to, to just emphasize that they are basically tools for the military. But at the same time, I can't help but think, give the kids some shorts and t-shirts. It, it, it's just a little bit. Weird. And then I have one other nitpick, but I got to save something for lightning rounds. So, uh, so that's it for nitpicks. Do you want me to go into the movie or, or have I rambled on? Long enough? Well, I want to, I do want to talk about the movie and we are kind of, I knew this was going to be a little bit of a longer episode just because of the, the nature of what we're talking about, a book and a movie. Um, but I do want to keep and it's our us, season finale and it's our season finale. Uh, but I do want to keep us at a reasonable time. So our listeners will, not tune us out too early. Um, but, uh, you know, I do want to talk a little bit about the movie. Um, and so let's, let's quickly just kind of go around and, and maybe we've already done this, but, um, I want to get kind of just general impressions of the movie, you know, like liked it, didn't like it, hated it. You know, we know that it doesn't live up to the, to the books, but what's, what's the general consensus? Uh, Dave, what do you think of the movie? I can watch it. Okay. I mean, that's that's basically yeah. the easiest way for me to put it. Is yeah. It's never going to live up to the book, which we're biased already. Uh, and anybody that's listening to this probably understands that. Um, 
but if somebody said, hey, we're going to watch Ender's Game, I'll sit down and watch it. Yeah. Andrew, what'd you think? It is definitely a thing that exists on this universe. <laughs> Thanks. That, that's true. It does. No, no impressions? Liked I mean. It, didn't like it? So didn't, here's didn't where care I stand. At all. Yeah. The movie is never going to be as good as the book. Right. Yeah. So I will never watch the movie again because why would I watch the movie when I could okay. read the book? Okay. But I never reread books, so I'm never going to reread. Maybe, maybe the you books. have a flight in three hours, and you, you you know you just need to kill a couple, and so you know mm-hmm. you just watch the movie, and then go get on an airplane. Well, okay. I I don't have to worry about that right now thanks to COVID. <laughs> but you know I'm never going to rewatch the movie. So, okay. And I'm never going to reread the book, so I. I Sadly, I might never experience this franchise again. What about you, uh, Todd? You got to give the movie credit for still technically telling the story of Ender's Game. It gets the points across. It hits all of the important, well, maybe not all the important points, but all the important points it could fit in almost two hours. And that's the weird thing is it's still almost two hours. Uh, There's only one scene. There's only one part of it that I can actually say that I don't like. Okay. And and that's the... um, uh, it, uh, the connection between the Formidics and Ender when that connection is finally realized upon and he goes to find what they left him yeah, because they leave him a present. They have supposedly constructed a nest is the easiest way to put it. And these are, there's a little bit of a spoiler here, but I'm trying my best. Uh, they've constructed a nest to look like a, a, a collapsed castle from the virtual game that he was playing. And that was supposed to tip him off on where to go. To me, I can't see it. I've tried so many times to like see the collapsed castle when he supposedly does. And to me, it just, I'm like, that's just a big pile of rocks. And, and that's the only part of the movie that really upsets me because it, in, in the book, they literally take the time to like build the game. To where when he goes to where he's going, he's following the same path that he followed in the game because it talks about how like he goes over the bridge with the stream and there's a bridge with the stream. And then there's like a merry-go-round and, and like a playground he goes through and they've built the playground. And I think that would have only been a couple of more minutes of CGI, which maybe they couldn't afford that. But it, it was one of those where I wish they had done it that way. But the real big part was you're supposed to see this this visual connection that somehow they tapped into the game to be able to show him where he's supposed to go. And I just can't see it. I never can. Every time I look at the movie, I'm just like, ah, it's just a big pile of rocks again. Yeah. I have to say, I was a little shocked watching it over for this podcast because I remembered being very frustrated with the movie and not real happy with it. The first couple of times I watched it, and for some reason, I kind of entered with a little bit more of a just a clear mindset watching it this time, and and I enjoyed it. I, I mean, it was you know there was there was enjoyable moments. Now, you know, it falls short, obviously, and it does. There there's a lot in it that just in general felt cut short. Two hundred and sixty some pages. Well, not exactly, but about two hundred pages of the book is ender in this first battle school with these you know battles and and his strategies and you know making friends and and doing all of that and in the movie we get 
two battles in the in the zero gravity battle room. Uh, we literally only get three scenes. We get one where they just kind of go in and float and they're introduced to it. Then we get, you know, the battle where he's told not to pull his gun and shoot. And he does anyways and turns the tide of the battle kind of comparing to the book. That was like the fourth or fifth battle that he was in. And then, you know, there's all these other battles that lead up to him getting command. He gets command like the next time and he gets one battle where it's like, Oh yeah, I'm fighting two armies. And that's the, the big climax battle. And it's like, that, that that's not, yeah, it, it felt just so cut short. You know, we didn't get to see any of that. And then even at the end when he's doing these quote unquote computer simulation battles with the Formics to, to learn, you know, to become a commander, um, we literally get three battles and that's it. It's like, oh, we get the battle where he Oh, yeah, sh- there is another nitpick I have. I'm sorry. We, we get the battle where he shoots through the ice and, and destroys, and they kind of all handily win. That's like the first battle. And then we get one where things start to go kind of south, and, and he kind of loses a little bit, and people kind of are pressuring him a little well, bit Well, he loses a battle. Todd was talking about like him not him losing. He There is one battle that he loses. Uh, and that... He doesn't lose. He 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 takes a lot of losses, and and I do understand some of it being rushed. You know, in the in the book, we get a very keen sense of spoilers. These fleets have been sent out to engage the Formix, and he's having to fight the battles in different areas. Um, it's not well, you one... just gave away the biggest spoiler of the whole book no, and it... movie. Yes, you did. <laughs> and then he's um he's yeah, in the in the movie, he's it's one fleet and they're going to the planet and he only has one fleet. Yeah, that was the nitpick that and... it appears to it looks like it's one fleet that he's commanding. Yeah. This one huge fleet, and you don't get the idea that it's not one, it's several. Because yeah, in this final battle in the book, um, we it talks about how it's the oh great oldest. look at how they've stacked the odds against me. They've given me the oldest freaking ships that we possibly could have, yeah. and only like I think a handful of fighters is what he says. And yeah. it's like there's like fifteen hundred motherships and and like you know two billion fighters, you know, against him. But the, the that's actually a big spoiler because if you pay attention to what's going on and look at the little details there's a reason why that fleet's the oldest in his quote game right? because it was yeah. because you know, Hey, I'm not going to say it, but let's just say it. <laughs> I don't want to ruin it too much because yeah, yeah, I mean, let's, I, let's not, let's not confirm it. We'll, we'll yeah. make you actually read. So you'll confirm it yourself. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but I also think that was a, a big, to me, it was a disappointment and I understand that they kind of needed to make it bigger in the movie. Um, you know, in the, the book, obviously the little doctor, all the ships are equipped with the little doctor mm-hmm. that basically sets off this train reaction, um, and, and helps, you know, in the battles and things like that. Yeah. But, uh, you know, in the, the other movie, thing that the movie did not do well was they, they kind of tried, but they didn't show the stress on Ender. Right. Um, in the book, it talks about how they're pushing him so hard. And if you read Ender's Game and then you read Ender's Shadow, you'll get it better from Ender's Shadow because you find out what Ender's Shadow is all about. Because in, well, I'll just say it, in Ender's Shadow... Spoilery details for the Ender's Shadow book series redacted. 
The less spoilery version of Dave's point is that the generals did have a secret backup person in case Ender could not fulfill his role. Uh, so that's a big spoiler for Ender Shadow, but it's it's one of those where it, they don't do a very good job in the movie. They they kind of do. They t- they show you that he's kind of stressed out, but in the book they don't really do a good enough. I mean, in the movie they don't do a good enough job to show you how much they were pushing him because in battle school for example he gets his own army he he's fighting he's fighting like everybody else to start with like it's like one battle a week and then suddenly it's like a battle every day and then suddenly it's like, then it's like multiple battles a day like he's not he's not just fighting one he's fighting like two and then it does culminate into where um he's so tired that he actually sleeps through like there's there's like a a, a notice that happens when you are notified of a battle and he just sleeps right through it, wakes up, everybody's going to breakfast. He has to pull people out of the lunchroom because they're fighting two armies and the, and the two armies have had like what, like an hour or something yeah, a, to like set up in. Yeah. yeah. They had like an hour to set up in the, in the uh, battle room. And the same thing happens at command school because it starts out kind of easy these little fights okay we're all right and then it gets more and more and more and more and just like battle school where it's like he might have to fight two a day or do two simulations a day or or three or whatever and then eventually culminates into what we talked about well how he has like i don't know i think it's like eight ships and it's like they're the oldest they're like the oldest in the fleet that's ever existed and he has to fight like this big planet surrounded by thousands of fighters and and ships and blah 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 the book did a really good job of really touching on the psyche, not just a vendor, but even like his, his generals, you know, those under him, his tune yeah. leaders, you know, cause there's, uh, especially as he's doing those simulations, there's the scene where Petra kind of gets burned out and freezes. He had been dependent on her too much. And he learned as a general that I can't do that. I can't just depend on certain people over and over again. Sometimes I have to, rotate them in and rotate them out and, and let them rest and, and things. So yeah, there was a, there's a lot there. There's a whole lot of meat and, and sadly they just cut so much of that short. Now I will say watching the movie today, um, again, just kind of preparing for this podcast, I was really impressed. And I know people kind of like downed on some of the acting or whatever, but I would I would actually fall into a category. I was impressed with a lot of the acting. Some of the the side characters, not so much. But I mean, Harrison Ford and Asa Butterfield. When we get to the end of that scene and and in the the final battle and and things like that, I felt the emotion. I felt the the same emotion that I felt usually reading the book when I get to that part. And and so that that was that was. Refreshing for me. And I will Um. (laughs) always love you. Sorry. What else we got? What else we got? Todd, I know you got some more stuff. Todd's saving for lightning round. But you, well, I'm not sure what I'm going to say for lightning round. But you guys have already touched on it a lot that 
some of the best parts of the book are really rushed in the movie. Dave, you already kind of mentioned how we kind of see the beginning and the end of battle school, but there's that whole middle where we don't get to see his progression. And to me, it does kind of take away from the character because he's a three edged sword. He's naturally gifted, but he's also a great learner, but also a great teacher. And we don't see enough of those three things. uh, I don't think now, one thing that is traded up a little bit is the battle room because in the book it's described i think as being somewhat cube-like and opaque but in the movie it's huge it's more spherical it's transparent so you can actually see the earth outside uh all these windows and everything it looks really cool now that has a built-in uh downside to it in the in the book because it's cubes they're actually like nine battle rooms in one and they can rotate around and stuff like that because you get the one big spherical battle room there's only the one battle room but there again because they don't show that part of the movie very much in a way it doesn't matter so there's some give and take there also uh the kids are aged up way too much in the movie yeah because part of the point of the book is that Ender starts off at six and ends at 11 and that some of the other kids are just a a year or two older than him. But in real life, Asa Butterfield, who plays Ender, uh, turned 15 during filming. Haley Steinfeld, who played Petra, was 15. Aramis Knight, who played Bean, was 13. Siraj Persia, Partha, Partha, who played Ally, was 15. Kylan Rambo, who played Dink Meeker, was 16. Connor Carroll, who played Bernard, was 13. So basically they were all teenagers already, and that's just, it's too old. You you kind of lose part of the point of the uh, yeah. book. And I kind of understand why they did it, because they probably needed more experienced actors, but they just went too far with it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Harry Potter's a big, big, big skew to the, you yeah. could have done it. You know, yeah, yeah, because I mean, those kids, I don't think they started out that young, but I, I'm pretty sure they were still eight or nine when they did the first one. And I, like every one of those kids grew up doing like the six eight. movies of Harry Potter. So, well, and I, I'm with you, Todd. I think they could have skewed it a little younger. I mean, I understand they were trying to be like, okay, well, we're not going to go as young as six. Okay, I understand that. I think that would have been, I think that would have been hard or to watch in a movie. I think they went what felt way too old with the the 15 and 16 year olds, you know, had everybody been more in that, you know, even 10, 11, 12, maybe 13 range. I think it would have felt more young and and it would have felt more real to what the story was. Um, So I, I definitely see that nitpick. Well, we've run a little long and we still have our lightning round and our ratings. Um, I think for our ratings, what we'll have to do this episode is give a rating for the book and then give a rating separately for the movie. Does anybody have anything they want to say before our lightning round? Yo, mama. (laughs) What about my mama? Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do during lightning round. Okay, I, I'm just going to say it. I noticed that one of the producers on this movie was Alex Kurtzman, who is the producer that's in charge of Star Trek right now, and I don't like any of the current Star Trek shows, and I couldn't help but wonder, uh, are, are part of the problems with this movie, Alex Kurtzman? I'm not so sure. But uh, Oh, and, and, and going back to the, um, the little bit of trivia that I mentioned in the beginning, 
uh, about how budget and uh, the uh, special effects department kind of fallen through during the movie. I'm hoping that's true because I'm hoping that what got cut were those things that we are missing. I'm hoping that they were supposed to be there. I think, yeah. uh, and maybe that it was the budget and the special effects department kind of faltering that made those things go missing. Side note, Todd, remind me to, uh, after we're done tonight, to talk to you about a something I saw called Star Wreck. Okay. Okay. Well, and I think, sadly for me, some of that stuff could have been added in in like almost like a montage type segment. It would have felt better if we got we had something that alluded to the fact that he fought all these battles and won. You know, yeah. the fact that we only got to see him fight, I, I would have been okay only getting to see him fight like a couple of battles if there was some kind of montage that showed, I don't know, the scoreboard, mm-hmm. you know, yep. they're 20 and yep. one. Oh, they're 30 and oh, they're, you know. Technically it does show up, but you have to look in the background to, to see it. Yeah, but I totally agree with you because I love a good music montage, and this movie needed two or three of them. Yeah, I was just sitting here thinking, so we should bust out like the '80s kegger montage. Oh, yeah. it, awesome! It, it really needed like a good couple of montages, like for the battle. Montages sequence. are lazy. That's lazy filmmaking. Um, or I don't know. And I think we would have we would have felt better of seeing his or seeing his development. Andrew knows what I'm talking about. All right. Hell hey. yes, I do. Everybody got their dice ready. Are we going to change this in season two? Maybe. Maybe <laughs> not. Stop complaining, dude. Roll for initiative. I got a one. Let's go. 14. I'm a kinder. Can I reroll? 12. No. Damn it. 20. Oh, hey, Todd goes first. Todd goes first. Oh. Andrew goes last. You said you got 14, Dave? I got 14. Yeah, so you're second. Okay. Todd, it is time for the lightning round. Oh, and I'm not ready. I'm not ready. Um, You'll be all right. You uh, can do it. You can do it, Todd. You okay. got it. All right. Just pick right. a paragraph. Ready? ready and go uh command school seems a bit rushed compared to battle school in the movie uh ender becomes a role model way too early in the movie also the movie is less brutal uh there are fights that he's in in the book where uh we get to see him truly defending himself like wanting to end all battles and we we don't get a sense of that in in the, in the movie that's kind of toned down uh, uh i've already mentioned that I'm trying to scroll through. Oh, this sucks. I didn't want to go first. Uh, I've already mentioned that. Too dramatic. Oh, overall, the movie comes off. Le- uh, uh, shoot. I was going to say emotionally flat compared to the book. Okay. That's it. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah, that's okay. We agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I was trying to scroll around my, my notes and they were all over the place. That's why you print them out. Circle <laughs> and highlight. Well, I was trying to shift things that I hadn't said to a section that says uh, lightning round. But because mm-hmm. I went first, I didn't have time to do that. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh. All right. Aren't you yeah. editor? And you don't have to make fun of me. That's why, that's why sneak attacks are so so dangerous. Okay, so who's next? I Dave, am. You're up next. Okay. Ready? I, I hope. I'm going to try. All right. Go. Okay, one of the interesting things that I always liked about this was how the war actually started. Now, you have to understand, I'm going to try to do my best with this. The Formidics are ants, and they have queens, but basically everybody's connected. So if you basically, in the big spoiler... Spoilers.
and this is the lightning round, so the spoiler won't be redacted. Skip ahead approximately 40 seconds if you don't want to know why the Formix started the war with Earth. If you take out the Queen, they all die. Well, anyway, the, how the war started was in order for each of these Formidics to talk to each other, because there's multiple Queens, they've all learned to live together, is if one tribe wants to talk to another tribe, they'll say hello. Well, the easiest way to say hello is because your workers are just ants and don't matter. They'll kill a couple, and then that Queen will go, hi, you're here. And so that's what happened. They ran across a human ship, they boarded, and because they thought they were like them, they killed the people on the ship to try to contact the human queen. Yep. They didn't realize till later that that's not how we work, and that's how the whole war started. No. Sorry, oh. I know I was probably totally over there. Mm-hmm. So much for <laughs> trying to keep it spoiler-free. Okay. Oh, no, I was going to tell it anyway because it's just a great story. Yeah. Um, ah. I guess I am next. Okay, ready? I am ready. And go. So I do think, I actually feel like this book should be taught at about a middle school level where everybody in middle school has to read it because of all the psychological implications of of greatness and inspiration and leadership and just being a good person um, come across. So I'm going to throw that out there. This should be a, a learning tool for everyone. And that's one of the reasons we forced Mr. Andrew to read it. And hopefully he gets something out of it. The movie, you know, hey, watch it after you read the book. And we finish okay. up with Andrew. Nah, Andrew, I critically ready? failed. So you got to remember, <laughs> I don't get a roll. I spilt my water on my mic and then it shocked me and now I'm dead. So please call an ambulance. What? What? I critically failed. That's not how it works. That's not how any of this works. You still gotta Just, go. You still gotta go. Yeah, sorry. You still have to. You still have to. You still have to act. You know, you still have to do an action. But the only difference is, is we don't care. Ah. Okay. Ready? Yes. And go. It's a good book. Movies. Okay. I'm probably never gonna watch. Twenty seconds. Twenty-five years from now, when if he know, doesn't use his twenty seconds, I'm going to use his twenty seconds to tell him he needs to read the book. Actually, read it this time, like yeah, eyes, not, not own words, not times two <laughs> on audiobook. Five. Stop being official. Twenty twenty-five years from now, from when when like two or three of us, you know, two or all of us are dead, he'll uh, like pick it up again and like read it and be like, oh wow, they they were right. So psychological you know, uh, studies show that you you're using before me. I'm going to every week, I'm every like week or month, like once a month, I'll come around to each of your graves and drop off a copy of like Ender's Game or like the new Star Trek. That'd be fine. Well, and I, I don't know that I said this and I probably should have said it in the lightning round. This is a book that I've talked about in the past. I have given out probably about 10 copies of this book. I will buy them at used bookstores all day long when I find them for about a buck and a buck, buck and a quarter. And I will give them to people if I talk to them and they have not read it. And I think that's one of the reasons Dave and Todd may have gotten. Oh, no, no. I bought my copy. <laughs> you, but... you bought yours? Um, yeah. I actually do have a signed copy. Um, unfortunately, I didn't get it like signed personalized. I just found a signed copy at Barnes and Noble. Um, and I was like, I have to have one. Um, but yeah, I do have a signed copy of the book. And what a nerd. Yeah. But I will also throw out there, and this is mainly for Andrew or for any of our listeners. I I, I do enjoy audible books, 
but it does use a different part of the brain than actually reading a book. So no, it doesn't. you are going to get different things out of a book that you read than what you listen to as an audible book. So read it first, then do the audible book as a, as kind of a secondary. Cause yeah, your brain, cause I'm not going to lie. The Bible is a little boring when you read it by yourself, but if you listen to James Earl Jones talk about the Bible and he's reading it, <laughs> Oh, it's freaking awesome, man. It's like, it's the greatest thing ever. What did uh, that go a lot off the rails? Right. Sorry. But now we got to do our ratings. And did you say do or go again? The Bible or Ender's Game? Ender's Game. Sorry, just the, the okay. So yes, we have to do our ratings for. So do the the book first, and then the movie. Actually, I forgot to grade these because I was kind of in a time crunch. But oh. I'm just gonna go with the flow and go say what I like about them, and then give them a grade. Give them a grade. You go first. All right, for the book, I mean, I, I enjoyed the book, even though I technically didn't read. And it does use the same part of the brain, Dave. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Yes, it does. No, it doesn't. They both use the left side of the brain. We're talking specific parts of the brain. Your, your visual parts cortex. Of the brain, they use, both use language. Understanding language is totally different from listening and auditorial. That's why some people can read something and and as soon as they read it one time remember it. Other people can some can read it ten times and never get it, but they can hear it once and get it and they learn differently. So it uses different parts of the brain. But that's okay. That's aside. That's just kind of the psychological background of my my education getting in, in the way. But what you got? What's your rating? You're gonna read it and you're gonna like it, young man. That's the to it. <laughs> Where was I? Oh, yeah. I, I, I like the book. I like Ender, and me and him actually have the same first name. No, you don't. So, as a nickname, y'all can call me Ender. Because you, you, you spell yours weird. No, no. Okay, what happened is my parents spelled it weird. And now well, I'm yeah. like this until I'm 18. What's your middle name? Ender. Uh huh. Ender now. Now I really want to know what his middle name is Francis. It's dangerous. Stay on target. What were we talking about again? Stay on target. Just give us your ratings. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, book. I really liked Ender. I like the whole psychology thing. I like the strategy, you know. I don't talk about it, but I like war games, you know. The whole strategy thing kind of captivates me. So I give it five out of five. And then as for the movie, no comment. <laughs> All right, I'll wow. Okay. Um, and okay. then I usually go second. I can't speak highly enough of this book and, and how many people need to read it. If I take anything, if I have to apply any negative to this book, probably the one thing that I would apply, and this is not from my personal experience, but having talked to other people who I've given the book and had read, it is a male-centric book. And so I think in many ways when I've had even some really big sci-fi you know, female fans read it. They don't attach to it nearly as much as, as guys do. And so it is a guy centric book, but for me, that that's right up my ballpark. So I gave it a, a 10, you know, it's my, it's my perfect score book. If I were to ever, you know, dream of writing something, I would hope that it would be as good as this. So, um, and then the movie, uh, like I said, I was impressed watching it this time more than I had been in the past. I think had I gone on my gut and, and just memory of what I would have rated this having watched it in the past, it would have probably been kind of in that C minus 
or, or kind of a, like a, a, you know, six kind of area, but having watched it again, I was, there were a lot of elements that I was impressed with. The, the battle room was really cool looking and the fact that they did it in zero gravity and all that cool stuff, you know, there, there was a lot that was positive. And, and so I actually kind of bumped it up and, and it's about a 7.5 for me. So 7.5 out of 10 for the movie. And what you got, Todd? Okay. Uh, this is probably my favorite book. So when it comes to grading books, which we've, we've only done twice now, uh, I'm not plugging into a spreadsheet or anything. I'm just going off a of feel. And I'm going to give the book an A, not quite an A+. I think I'm going to reserve an A+, for if I reread another book that I find, oh, wait, I actually do like this better than Ender's Game. Or maybe some other day I'll read something new that, that'll blow me away even more than Ender's Game. So I'm, I'm going to reserve the A+, especially since this time reading it for a third time, I had a few more nitpicks than, than usual. An A, still pretty good, especially for me, especially with books. As far as the movie, I'm giving it a B+. I thought it was good. As I said, it still gets the point across on what the story of Ender's Game is. I just feel like they maybe, to a certain extent, by necessity, shifted things around like they they tried to explain a little bit more about this one character Mazer Rackham and some of the strategy and some of the aliens and move some of that to the beginning of the book and stuff like that or to the beginning of the of the movie and they kind of shifted things around maybe out of necessity but they also lost some things along the way it's still good overall but I wish it were better I think B plus is a is a good medium for it okay and Dave what you got for us uh, it is my firm belief that Orson Scott Card should be in among the American historical archives as as a great writer, well, uh, up there with Mark Twain and Ernest Hemingway. That's Oops. just me. God Almighty, please, Jesus. <laughs> Next, now you must read a book called Huckleberry Finn. What's that? If you can, if you can find a copy. Damn Nazis. Anyway, sorry. I'm the non-PC one in the group, by the way. That's like, yeah, you just read it the way it was written. It was, you know, anyway, yeah. Matter. Be warned, it um, has the N-word in it a lot. <laughs> I wonder why, because the guy lived in the 1860s. wonder why. Hmm. Anyway, sorry, but that's that's me. I guess I'm just, you know, an asshole. Anyway, um, the book, uh, I think everyone should just have. You should have a copy of this book. If you if you believe yourself a good reader and and like to read, uh, no matter what it is, just from a literature literary standpoint, you should have Ender's Game um, because it is, to me it is that good. Uh, as far as the the movie goes, uh, it's definitely a Saturday movie. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say you should have to you should own it and have it in your library because there are some like I said compared to the book, it's weak. Uh, but that's really its only downfall. Uh, and because we are kind of comparing the two together. Uh, other than that, though, you're going to I think you'll enjoy it uh, if somebody goes, hey, we're watching Ender's Game. I'm going to sit down and watch it because it's still it's still fun to watch. All right. All right. OK. Now, normally we end our episode with everyone giving a recommendation for our next episode or our next episode or, or something that we want to do. Um, this being our. 50th episode our final episode of season one we got canceled no <laughs> we don't even know we renewed ourselves we renewed ourselves yeah. yeah we renewed ourselves for another season um which i almost forgot um i need to go ahead and, and plug us um you know and make sure that all of our listeners out there 
guys, help us out, right? We're going into season two. Um, we have a lot of you guys who have gone back and listened to some of our older episodes um, and and are still with us and still kind of chugging along. But spread the word. Let other people know that Rock we're, on, we're out Sorry. there and that we do this episode every week. And they, they can find us pretty much everywhere that podcasts can be found. And, you know, feel free to interact with us. Send us an email. Our email address is discerninggeeks at gmail.com. You can also visit us on our Facebook page, the Discerning Geeks portal, and also on Twitter at Discerning Geeks. So we would love, love, love to hear from you guys. But more importantly, we'd love for you guys to just share what you like and, you know, be a part of this Discerning Geeks culture and let us know what more you would what you would like for us to talk about in the future. We are revamping a few things as we go into season two, and we'll kind of talk about those more next week when we more lasers, more giant monsters. Season two, episode one, episode more more spaceships, more spaceships, bigger explosions. Have a spaceship? Where is it in the garage? I'll I'll be right back. We've hired Michael Bay. In order to give us more explosions. So what that basically means is from now on, when you listen to our podcast, after every fifth word, they will just go. <laughs> <laughs> and that's one of the reasons I brought up Alex, Alex Kurtzman earlier, because Alex Kurtzman has worked with Michael Bay on several it's things. Thing is, it's true. That's exactly what happened. Sorry, Todd. Go ahead. <laughs> Well, Alex Kurtzman has worked with Michael Bay on several things, yeah. so they might have similar sensibilities. And he's also worked with J.J. Abrams, who I have mixed feelings about. J.J. Abrams is kind of J.J. Abrams is lens flare, so it would be five seconds. It would be, and then every ten seconds, lens flare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's that's how that works. Sorry. Wow. Sorry. Continue, please. Continue. Uh, so yeah, so now we're going to talk about the greatest episode ever instead of talking about. Um, Instead of talking about um, what we want to do for our episode for our season two episode one, because that's like you know the cliffhanger, you're going to have to tune in to know what we're going to do. We've decided to recap and just basically tell you right now that we all voted, and the best episode of oh, season really? one was, of course, <laughs> Killer Clowns Around Her Face. <laughs> hey, I wasn't on that episode, <laughs> but that's okay because you still voted for it. And yeah, so if you haven't listened to Killer Clowns from Outer Space, you should go listen to it because it's the award winner for season one best episode to Sam. Well, actually, Dave, you bring up something really good. And I know this episode is already super long. Uh, Maybe I can edit it down some. But um, since this is our season finale, I was wondering, could we not go into huge depth, but just super quick, maybe list some of our favorite episodes from season one? Uh, in case somebody can't catch up on all 50, you know, what five do you do you think they should catch up on? D&D, 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 D&D. So just to be clear, you're voting for D&D? You're like, okay. That's three episodes. Three D&D episodes <laughs> were some of our guests. That's, that's, yeah, that is. That is. That's three episodes. D&D. Um, no, I, I, I would actually agree. I, I think the D&D episode was a lot of fun. I um, I enjoyed listening to it more than I enjoyed running it. So, I mean, that, that, that says something. 
Well, part of that was the editing process from Todd. Oh yeah, on, beautiful. On, 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 on a lot of things that had to be done. Thank you, Todd. Uh, if I had to no. guess three, because I was thinking, yeah, we should probably keep it to three. Uh, it's definitely Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Sorry, you're just not going to get me to not say that one. Um, uh, I would probably actually say our very first one, The Martian. But yeah. oddly enough, I would also say like The Lake House. I think The Lake House was a really good one that we did. Well, Yeah, I, and the number of listens on that is picking up. Um, I would actually, of course, have to add in, and one of my favorite episodes was Real Steel. That was yeah. a fantastic mm-hmm. episode, a lot of fun to do. Um, and I've enjoyed doing um, the, the what you do in episodes, uh, the, the water water world water yeah the water, water the water one where i was at the beach is still pretty funny that, that, I, I, that was yeah. a that was a that was one of my favorite episodes as well so i enjoyed those and, and i want to bring up a quick topic because back then i my voice was like oh way up here still is what are you i was gonna say about? we didn't notice the change no, sorry. Yeah. why did it change back to the dark crystal episode you will hear it man that stuff is high oh. okay what about you, Todd? Did you have a, a couple special, special favorite ones? Yeah, you guys have already mentioned a couple. The Martian, I thought we got off to a really good start. That's still my favorite movie that we reviewed so far. Real Steel, I think we got really philosophical about a movie that you would not expect us to get philosophical about. I mean, it's a robot movie, and we got philosophical about it. Uh, let me see. Uh, skimming through. Uh, okay, Killer Clowns. Terrible movie, but yeah, I had fun editing that. I can't deny that. Uh, the Adjustment Bureau. I thought that was a really good episode, and I enjoyed watching that movie for it. Uh, Muppet Christmas Carol, that's always fun. I thought we did a good job on that. Uh, I tried to do the best I could at covering up our technical difficulties, which happened about every five minutes on that one. Uh, oh, yeah, that's and, the one where we kept dropping out. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and then, because it, the topic itself holds a special place in my heart, the favorite sci-fi TV characters episode that was too, so big, we had to split up into two episodes. Okay, yeah. And, oh, and also Best and Worst Series finales. That was, that was a good episode, too. Or a two-parter. I enjoyed um, kind of a couple of dark horses and, and I would encourage people to go and, and hunt these down. Um, the the sneakers episode. I thought that was a fun conversation being able to talk about that movie yeah, and yeah. Um, enemy mine. I enjoyed that one as well. So we've had a lot oh, of, I really, remember that one. we've had a lot of really good episodes and I encourage you to let us know what your favorite one was. Um, and yeah. Tell us what uh, what you would like to hear from us in the future. We are adjusting, same general format, but just a few little tweaks here and there as we go into season two. We want to keep trying to be better for you guys, the listeners. Um, so, yeah. Anybody else with a final parting words? The first episode of season two is going to be Triffids. What? What? Well, I don't even know what a Triffid is. You don't know what Triffids is? You yeah. guys have never heard of Triffids? Oh, it's the next Killer Clowns in for the whole season two. Oh, what are we doing, Triffids? It sounds vaguely familiar. I've probably heard of it. 1967. Oh, basically wow. plants that eat people. Triffids. Oh. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen it myself, but I just know about it. I think it was one of those MS... I think it was an MST3K movie. Let me put it that way. Yeah. So we... We need your input, guys. Uh, audience, to help. Clearly. <laughs> yeah, otherwise we're doing trivets. Help us out. Um, you know, there's there's a, a lot of movies. Or another out there. plan from outer space. <laughs> That's an actual movie, by the way. 
Sorry. Go ahead, Dave. I mean, you know, I was actually on cruising through Tubi the other day, and I think I found Hot Wax Zombies on Wheels. So, you know. Yes. <laughs> Stripperland. Have you seen Stripperland? That's a great one. And, and, and a disease only affects women that turns the, turns them, not that they already are, turns them into stripper zombies. What? <laughs> the perfect disease. And I mean, come on. Off the rails, so. Yeah, well, help us out. Help us give us some more suggestions of some movies that you really do I also about. found out that there's like five different War of the Worlds. If you go to the Plex app, you can find them, and it's like five different War of the Worlds that I didn't realize ever existed. It was I was going to say, I think I knew of three, but I don't know if I knew that many. But... I knew of the original, I knew the one for Tom Cruise, and that was it. And then I was like going, wait, War of the Worlds, War, War of the Worlds, War of the Worlds, what? Sorry. What? Well, it is time for us to say goodnight. And to all of our listeners, thank you for listening. Thank you for being with us as we get through season one. And we hope that Send you money. help <laughs> expand us and expand our listener base going into season two. Uh, let people know, rate us on iTunes, do all the fun stuff that you guys know how to do and continue to do whatever makes you a discerning geek. Fun. Andrew's college fun. Wait. <laughs> I have a college one. Awesome. No, yeah, that's why we said fund it. <laughs> we, just, we just use it to buy books and movies with. Don't worry about it. Uh, you know what? A college fund is better than no college fund. I'll I take don't it. think it's embezzling, but I might be wrong. And with that, guys, have a good evening. May the force be with you. Always. Live long and prosper. Wait, that's not me. The enemy's gate is down. Ah, there you uh, go. Uh, yes. Yes. <laughs>